Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is another episode of Catch and Shoot, and we have a really fun one lined up for you. Hey, today was a little odd. We record this show on a Tuesday, and storms ravaged through New England, which means today I am without my producer. I am without my head of content. I am also without my co-host, Otto Strong. So what do you guys have today? Well, you have me and you have ESPN's Om Young Misik, and it's a really fun conversation. We talk about the Clippers' chances in the NBA bubble. We'll talk about the Lakers and their revamped front court. Luka Doncic had a big day on Tuesday, and Denver continues to impress. All right, guys, let's get to it. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome in Om Young Misik. He is an NBA reporter for ESPN covering the Clippers as well as any NBA team he is assigned to these days. And Om, it was kind of funny before we brought you in um, on this call, we were talking about just that. It seems like with the way the NBA is being played today and with the way everyone is being assigned teams, you are getting to take in the NBA for everything that it is right now, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, it it feels like... uh... You know, we were robbed out of the NCAA tournament. I mean, 2020 has robbed us of virtually everything. Um, but I, I, me being a Michigan State grad and a very proud one, I felt the Spartans were going to go deep this year. And to not have March Madness uh, for the first time in forever, ever, uh, really just crushed me. And so now I feel like as basketball fans, we're getting a little bit of it uh, NBA style. I mean, today I covered Clipper Suns and – I wrote about how Devin Booker hit had his one shining bubble moment, and that's exactly what it felt like. He had a he had a buzzer beater game winner. And let me let me just say for anyone that is not able to see this highlight, it's probably about as difficult as a game winner as you can hit in the NBA because he pump fake Kawhi Leonard up and then pivoted and hit a fadeaway 18-footer barely over the outstretched hands of Paul George. And so basically for him to hit a game winner against two of the elite defenders in the league, um, it was an elite, elite game winning buzzer beater. It was incredible. And it's funny you say that, you know, and 
you know, you were talking about you being from Michigan State and going there. I'm a Kansas grad. I went to Lawrence. So to not have my Jayhawks have an opportunity to play in March Madness was very crushing for me. So I feel you there. But let's talk about that Suns team. We're going to talk a lot about the Clippers. This Suns team is on a roll, and it almost seems like there's a lot of teams that are at the bottom half of these NBA standings right now that are just clawing for their playoff lives. And that's why we're getting these moments. That's why we're getting these instances where these teams, because, you know, for a team like the Suns, who's battling and just trying to remain relevant, they are playing for their NBA lives. And so we're getting their absolute best shot each and every night. Dude, they're 3-0. and They're not <laughs> – they, they <laughs> are, like, uh, playing the role of spoilers perfectly, and they have absolutely nothing to lose. And I think you're seeing that in this bubble right now. You know, going into the bubble, I talked to some NBA coaches who were saying – What's going to happen, and these, this is one coach who was on a contending team, what's going to happen when, say, and the Phoenix Suns, for example, or the Washington Wizards um, lose their first two, three games right off the bat and are out of it? Are you going to have guys that are not going to take, you know, basically all the safety protocols as seriously as, say, a contending team? Because then that puts everybody at risk, and it could potentially jeopardize somebody's, you know, title hopes. Um, but I think so far, the way the NBA has this, it's hard envisioning that happening because if you were to do it anyways, you were to leave the bubble, you can't get back in. You're, you're, you're basically going to have to quarantine uh, for four to 10 days. And if you do have coronavirus or anything like that, then you can't get back in the bubble. Um, so far, we have not, fingers crossed, we have not seen any type of spread inside the bubble. And my, my biggest worry coming into this whole thing was that the Disney employees on site did not have to adhere to the same strict rules as the rest of the NBA personnel and players and teams and staff. And so that could be a way where maybe the virus enters the bubble. But listen, that's a whole nother topic. I think for now, we're seeing that these teams are playing hard for the most part. Yeah, look, Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings, I think I watched their first two games and defensively they were horrible and they were struggling. But for the most part, look at like the San Antonio Spurs. Nobody was thinking about them and they've just come out and they look like they are going to make the playoffs. I mean, it's just like the way they've been playing. DeMar DeRozan has looked great at the end of these games. The Brooklyn Nets obviously have struggled until today um, with all the injuries and the Washington Wizards are clearly just there to develop their guys. But outside of that, I mean, these teams, Orlando, I've been impressed with Orlando. Orlando's played hard. You know, all these teams are playing hard and you are seeing now, like I was wondering how like the Clippers and the Lakers would approach these games um, because the Clippers still have something to play for. The Lakers really don't. Um, but you see these guys, they're kind of being tested and they're being pushed a little bit. And I think it's the perfect thing for those teams. They need these eight games to be tested and pushed before getting ready for the playoffs. You know, and that's a really good point. And, you know, it's something that Otto and I, he's, he's my co-host on this show, talked about kind of leading up to these seeding games just how good the basketball was going to be. You know, were we going to see high-level NBA basketball like we know, you know, at the end of the season come playoff time? Don't want to say this time of year because usually the season's over this time of year. But have you been surprised with just how good the play has been? Totally. I mean, I thought that the games were going to be incredibly sloppy. And I still think, but maybe I'm being proven wrong here, that come playoff time, I've mentioned this to a few people that like a team like Oklahoma city that has the ability to just win ugly could be trouble in the playoffs because when you get to uh, these playoff games and there's no fans, 
you know, there are going to be times in these games where players are looking for something to boost them, a little energy, and they're not going to have it. And a team that can make a game ugly like Oklahoma City might be able to throw a curveball that you might might, might have been able to handle uh, during normal times. But in an arena with no fans, and sometimes you're looking for that extra energy, you're not going to get it this time around. But with all that being said, these games, <laughs> I mean, they've been great. If you're a basketball fan – and you're watching these games. It's just like like today, Brooklyn upset the the Bucks. I get it. The Bucks weren't playing all their guys, but still, I mean, you weren't expecting that. And certainly, you get Devin Booker hitting a, a, an incredible game winner over Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Some of these games are going down to the the absolute you know wire. And then you've got these incredible like um, you know individual performances. Look at like uh, Luka Doncic today: thirty four points, twenty rebounds, twelve assists. James Harden going off earlier. I mean, it's been incredible. Anthony Davis, all the stars are really coming to play. And I really do believe um, what a lot of these guys were saying, that this feels like the greatest AAU basketball camp ever in the world. Um, I feel like these guys are starting to kind of show out a little bit like you would see at like, say, the old school ABC camp in New Jersey or something like that, where you would hear like, oh, this guy over here, this, this kid, Kawhi Leonard, he's he's like nobody's ever heard of him. He's doing great. Like these guys are starting to show out a little bit. And it's like word is starting to spread. You hear like, oh, man, this guy had an incredible game today. It just feels awesome to have basketball in the middle of the summer and basketball that counts. I cannot relay that enough because, you know, the one thing I kept relating it to and it's because i covered it for so many years was the orlando pro summer league you know that was an event that was held inside a gym there was the only other people that were there were scouts and media members and that's basically what we're getting in this orlando bubble right now and it's just basketball in its purest form and it's so much fun to watch and it's so entertaining each and every night and um, it's hard to believe but we're already almost halfway through these seeding games. I mean, you look at it, most of the teams have already played three games. Some will play their fourth game on Wednesday at the time of this recording. So, and I'm going to ask you this, which team so far has been the most impressive to you? Uh, wow. That's, uh, I would probably say um, Milwaukee has looked good, obviously, and that they did lose to the Nets, notwithstanding. Toronto has been great. Um, and I think Toronto was reminding people that you really can't sleep on them. Um, I was told coming into the bubble uh, from somebody who's in that organization that, you know, they are locked in. This is like a business trip. And if you think about it, this is a situation where the NBA has never gone through this before, right? It's an unprecedented situation. Nobody's ever been put in a bubble having to try to win in three, four months and not being able to leave, not really being able to see your family or friends or do anything just go to a restaurant and so if you take coronavirus out of the mix and just say we're going to put a whole bunch of teams into a bubble and the best team wins that would itself would be unprecedented and it would take enormous um, an enormous amount of things for a team to go through in order to win that let alone having this virus be there so it's going to be whoever wins this whole thing will have won a war of attrition and so back to the toronto raptors they're the only team in this bubble that knows what it's like to win a championship at its most recent time. Like they are coming off of yeah. winning a championship. They know what it takes. But last year they had to go through it with a monkey on their back of all the playoff failures Toronto has gone through. They were carrying the hopes of an entire country that had never won a championship before. And on top of that, every day had to hear, is Kawhi Leonard going to leave? Now that they've won and got that monkey off their back and they know what it takes to win and they knew 
they could win without Kawhi Leonard. And now they don't have to worry about Kawhi Leonard leaving all the time. Um, they are locked in. And as this one person told me on that team, they know they are going to be a hard team to beat four times in a playoff series. And I think we're starting to see that. And Nick Nurse has been exceptional with his coaching. So Toronto, I think, would be a team I would say. And then I, I would say, you know, look, the Lakers have looked a little vulnerable at times. Uh, Clippers obviously don't have all their guys yet. I would still say those are the two teams to look for in the West. And then Houston, I think, is also reminding people what a lot of NBA people thought going into the bubble, but maybe people outside didn't believe, which was Houston could be a problem inside this bubble because of Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And if they're able to play clutch defense at the end here in certain games that are close games, Houston is a team in the West that I think would provide the biggest threat to the Lakers and Clippers. Well, defense for that Houston team has always been a little bit of a conundrum for them, specifically James Harden, not to throw shots at anyone. But, you know, to kind of go back to that Clippers situation and, you know, really the Lakers too and, you know, the Raptors. Raptors and Lakers went head-to-head the other night where really I thought we saw the toughness of Kyle Lowry. And that's what's going to make that Raptors team so difficult in a playoff series is just how tough they are each and every single night. And then when you throw in Pascal Siakam and the things that he can do defensively and offensively, it's just a murderous row. What about a team like Orlando, a team that, you know, really the last 15 game run. And I, I mentioned them specifically because I covered them for a long time. I'm in the Orlando market. So I see a lot of them. How good have they been offensively? Is this a little bit of a fluke for them and how devastating of a loss is Jonathan Isaac for them? Jonathan Isaac hurts. Um, you know, he's a guy that like, he was only playing not that many minutes. And obviously we hadn't seen him in a long time. He hurt his knee back on January 1st in Washington and I think it hurts from the standpoint of just this team was feeling good about itself and wondering like what they could possibly do, especially with Brooklyn kind of fading with all these injured players. Um, and then all of a sudden Jonathan Isaac goes down and Aaron Gordon says he's reduced to tears watching that because you knew how hard he worked. And he's a guy that is a difference maker as far as energy, shot blocking, rebounding. He's the type of guy that in a playoff series – can really give a team a lift, especially in a bubble with no fans. Orlando, though, is, you know, every time I look at them, I'm just like, how is this team winning? And I have the utmost respect for Steve Clifford. Um, Cliffy's a great coach, and I, I still uh, revel at what he's able to do with this group because you look at this team, and as good as Vucevic is, Aaron Gordon, I feel, should always be better in putting up bigger numbers, but at the end of the day, they end up still winning. And so I do think they're going to be a little bit tougher than whoever they face wants to uh, see in the first round. But um, Orlando has been so far uh, impressive to me, even though they lost today. But listen, what happened the other day with Jonathan Isaac, I think probably had the team shaking a little bit. Yeah, it was crushing to watch, especially with that team kind of getting its legs under them. You know, that was a team last year that just struggled offensively on so many different levels to score and to see them, kind of on the upswing that they were over the course of their last 15 games was promising. And, you know, from going from talking about one current magic coach to a former magic coach and the current skipper of the Clippers, you know, Doc Rivers got a really big win the other day, putting him 11th all time on the NBA wins list. What does that say about Doc Rivers as a head coach? And, you know, kind of just looking forward, I think you had it in his article that he needs, it's either four or six wins to go to 10th on the NBA all-time scorer list. Where do you think that we'll put Doc Rivers among the greats when it's all said and done for him? No, Doc Rivers is already 
one of the all-time great coaches, at least in my mind. Um, he's an unbelievable coach when it comes to relating to players and knowing kind of like the right buttons to push. Um, his voice never gets tired. Um, I think sometimes for a lot of coaches, players can get tired of that, that, that coach's voice, hearing it all the time. And I've actually wondered about that in this bubble um, where, you know, you can get overloaded by basketball because there's nothing else to do inside this bubble. Sure, there's fishing and there's other things that you can walk around doing, perhaps eventually get to Disney World uh, after hours or something like that. They're able to open that for NBA players, but otherwise you're just in your room and it's just basketball all the time. And a lot of people have always told me players, especially former players, always say that they don't want to hear coaches just talking in their ear all the time. Uh, keep your points short and simple. Uh, don't overload it and don't talk too much. Don't over talk. And, you know, when you got young guys um, in the NBA who are not used to being in a bubble and not having whatever they want available to them and being able to do whatever they want, the last thing you want to do is probably overload them with basketball. Doc Rivers knows all the buttons to push to give his team days off to not overload them with talking too much basketball so that when he does talk to them, they listen and it's impactful. And they also know that he's been through it and he's won. So I think that that is one thing about Doc Rivers that makes him great. Obviously he's won in many different places and he's won a championship with Boston. But I think now with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, this veteran group, um, look, they haven't been together a lot this season. I think uh, entering the bubble, the Clippers had only been whole 11 times the entire season where they had their full roster available. And they were 10-1 and one in those games, largely because Paul George was entering the season off two surgeries on his shoulders. Kawhi Leonard was coming off his championship run. He didn't really have much of an offseason. And so they load managed him. And then they had a bunch of injuries, no practice time. And then they added Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris. And so there was a lot of just like moving parts and moving pieces for this Clipper team. And as good a talent as they've had, you can make the argument that their record could actually be worse because they were so disjointed. And Doc Rivers has kind of kept that together a little bit. And so I think now the challenge for him is once again to get all these guys together because inside this bubble, they had three guys leave the team due to life circumstances and family emergencies. And Lou Williams talked about it um, after the Phoenix game that basically these are real life problems in the real world, real life issues. People need to realize that these are guys grieving losses to family members and what have you. And so Doc Rivers is dealing with that. And it could be a thing that could be devastating to a contending team, but Doc Rivers so far is managing it pretty well. And I have no doubt that he will have this team uh, on track to probably get to that Western conference finals to face the Lakers. I was going to say, it's been really impressive all year to watch just how he's besides that roster. And it seems like it, every little tipping point that they may have had that he's been able to steady the ship. And, you know, another one came Today, we're recording this show on a Tuesday. The Clippers lost a game earlier today to the Suns on that shot that you were talking about. They lose Patrick Beverly to a left calf injury. Let's digest that a little bit. How big of a loss is that for the Clippers in the near term? And what is the expectancy on how long Beverly might be out? Well, we don't know the severity. Doc Rivers said that he didn't think it was that bad. Um, but he has said this before, not really knowing the severity of an injury and a guy being out for a while. Um, 
Doc's name is Doc, but he's not really a doctor. Uh, so, like, you know, we can only take him at his word that he says he doesn't think it's going to be that serious. But he did add that the Clippers are going to be extremely cautious with Patrick Beverly, and they should be. Um, I think guys like Pat Beverly and Montrez Harrell are going to be absolutely even more valuable in this bubble because with no fans, every team needs that spark guy, that guy that can create his own energy, the guy who's going to be vocal, the guy who's going to be in your face, getting you to go. And I think there's not a lot of teams that have one of these guys, let alone two. And Patrick Beverly can create that energy on defense. He can create the energy with his hustle. He's a very underrated rebounder. Um, and you know what? He was shooting the three ball great this season. And so this is when one issue that we were wondering about entering the bubble was going to be these soft tissue injuries. And remember, Patrick Beverly was just coming back from quarantine because he was one of those Clippers who left to a family emergency, got back in time for the season opener, played limited minutes in the first two games. Then today, and then on uh, against the Phoenix, against Phoenix, he started and then got hurt in the first quarter. I think even if this injury is not serious, the Clippers are going to be really careful with him to make sure that he's ready for the postseason. And so we got to hope that um, this this is not the type of injury that lingers. Absolutely. It's way more impressive to be firing on all cylinders when you get to the playoffs and to try and have someone fight through a couple seeding games, especially when you already have it locked up. Uh, last question before I get to one special question at the end of this. We saw the Lakers and the Clippers go head-to-head at the NBA restart tip-off. Do you get a sense that the Lakers are still as strong as they were before the NBA hiatus or with all the roster reconstruction that they've kind of had to do on the fly? Do you have any concerns about them? I do have a little concern. Um, I, and like I said earlier, I think they look, they've look they looked a little vulnerable. They just haven't looked as dominant as they were or certainly um, as much as a, on a roll as they were when the season was halted back in March. The last weekend before the season suspension, I was at two of their games where they beat the Bucks and the Clippers. And at that point, you could have made the argument that LeBron James's MVP campaign was rolling in the right direction because Giannis had just gotten hurt and he probably would have missed a couple weeks. And LeBron had these two uh, meaningful, impactful games where he beat Giannis and then he beat Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And at that point, the Lakers were rolling, and they have not found that stride just yet. The Avery Bradley situation for them, to me, um, I don't want to overstate Avery Bradley and hype him up as a guy who's like, you know, basically the third star. But he was a starter that they knew what they were getting with him. A two-way player who defensively was one of their best perimeter defenders, and also a guy who could hit outside shots. I mean, in that that game against the Clippers, he went off. He had like 24, 24 or 27 points. I don't remember what it was, but he had a great game. He was the reason why the Lakers beat the Clippers. You take him out of the mix, and now you have to increase the workload defensively for Contavious Caldwell-Pope to defend whoever is the other team's better player. Danny Green now has a little bit more of a workload. Alex Caruso certainly has more of a workload, and that might be a good thing for them if he can stay healthy. He is a solid player, especially defensively. But now you have J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, and as good as Deion Waiters has looked so far in this bubble, um, they're still wild cards. And so in a playoff series inside a bubble with no fans where you really need to know who you're counting on, um, at any point you don't know what you're going to get with Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. You have to take the good with the bad. And so at some point that might end up hurting the Lakers um, in 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 the bubble during the playoffs. So... That's something that I wonder about. 
But here's the thing. They got two of the top five players in the league. And certainly Toronto may have provided a blueprint of maybe playing this like triangle and two to basically double and triple team Anthony Davis at times, but not everybody has Toronto's length and not everybody can play Toronto's defense. And certainly when Anthony Davis comes to play and plays elite, the Lakers are going to be incredibly hard to beat. And that includes for the Clippers, because if Anthony Davis plays like a superstar and a top three player in the league, the Clippers are going to have major problems matching up with them and trying to stop that. Absolutely. Well, it certainly seems like we're kind of barreling towards that battle for LA. And if the playoffs are anything like what we've seen from these early seeding games, it's going to be a really fun few months as the NBA kind of kicks off its playoffs here in a week and a half or so. Hey, Ohm, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. You know, our chief content officer here at Pure Hoops Media is the one and only Bruce Bernstein. He's one of the best guys that I know. You know, I always love to do this with some of his old friends from ESPN who come on the show. Can you give us a good Bruce Bernstein story? Oh, man, there's so many. Uh, you know, I always enjoy going to Bruce Bruce's office in Bristol because it was like this little basketball museum. And, of course, he's a huge Celtics fan. And so, like, there's just all this, like, great basketball stuff in his office. I'm a big guy on, like, trinkets and, like, little mementos and things like that. And, of course, I can't even imagine what Bruce probably has in his garage at home of all the basketball goodies he's collected over the decades of just being around the league. But Bruce knows everyone. And that's the thing. Like everybody loves Bruce. You can't find one person to say one bad thing about Bruce. And I think that's the best thing that you can say about him. Absolutely. Hey Bruce, what do you have in that garage while we have them here? What's the biggest thing you have in there? First of all, I just want to say that there are, there is no finer human being than Ohm. And that's, (laughs) that's you want to talk about somebody that everybody loves. Ohm is like absolutely one of the all-time best. I was incredibly fortunate to work with the likes of Ohm and Cassidy and Antonio Davis and Legler and all these wonderful people. I I miss you all, but I'm so glad that we can still connect uh, through Pure Hoops and you're gracious enough to to join our shows. Uh, My memorabilia stuff is actually in the basement because the garage isn't big enough. So uh, (laughs) my man cave downstairs has so much stuff. Maybe one of these days we'll, we'll do a podcast with pictures, but uh, uh, just, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I always felt like I spent so much time in that office back in Bristol. I just wanted it to be a place that whichever direction I turned in, I'd see something that made me smile or give me a memory. So that's really why I had all that. But I wanted to, if you don't mind, Aaron, I wanted to ask Alma a question because something oh, absolutely. you guys were talking about a little while ago is something that I've sort of felt, and I just want to get his opinion. Um, before the bubble season, the restart began, my thought was that we were likely to see basketball competition in a much purer form for the reasons you said before. The isolation of it all, the sterile environment, no fans rooting against you, no fans rooting for you, and that that might result in some of these early playoff series that would normally be four or five games going five and even six games. And I think some of what we've seen the last couple of days makes me believe that there could be something to that. What, what do you think? That you think that these series could go longer because this is kind of just like, it's just basketball and nothing else. Yeah. In other words, there's everybody's sleeping in the same type of bed. 
Uh, everyone, you know, there's no like comfort level for the home team or road distractions for the visiting teams. Everybody, it's kind of like a, it's as even Steven as you can get when it comes to the non-basketball environment, you know, like outside that 94 by 50 square. So that what you would see is that the crappy teams are a lot closer to the good teams competition wise when there's no home court with the home team, with the, with the favorite leading almost always two games to nothing after the first two games. I think you'll see a lot more one ones, which will mean longer series. I think, what do you think? I agree, Bruce. And I, I think here's the thing that's kind of like the, the great thing about this bubble is look at the Lakers. Uh, I'll, I'll pick two teams for you in the Western conference and look at how the bubbles impacted them already. The Lakers have lost their great home court advantage uh, just being like at Staples Center. And listen, it's not one of the loudest places in the league, certainly not as loud as Boston. Your home court is one of the loudest places I've ever been in. And I've been in there for incredible playoff series, uh, including the Nets Celtics back in the early 2000s. But, you know, the Lakers, there's that aura that they had at Staples Center where players are on the court looking around to see is Denzel Washington over there or who this model is, the Kardashians over here, whatever it may be, that's gone now. And if you look at it from the Clippers standpoint, if there's an all LA bubble battle, this works in the Clippers favor because the Clipper home games were Laker home games. Anyways, the, the majority <laughs> of the fans that came to Clipper games for these Laker Clipper games. And let me just tell you, Bruce, the three Laker Clipper games we had this year were unlike any other like regular season rivalry games that I've ever been a part of the season opener, the Christmas game felt like playoff games. The hype was unreal entering those two games. And while the play, both teams might not have played their best. They certainly wanted to win it. Like it was a playoff game. And so now if they face each other in the playoffs, you no longer have those Laker fans there anymore uh, to really even boo the Clippers in their own home, home court. The other team I wonder about is like Denver. They don't have the altitude advantage anymore, and that's going to hurt them. I mean, that that place also gets loud too, but teams don't have to deal with the altitude. Everything is equal now, as you're saying. It's all in the mm -hmm. same same footing, and that, to me, is like so great about this bubble. There's so many things that we don't know what's going to happen, so many unforeseen things. Like what happened with the Clippers in the last like two weeks of guys just leaving due to family issues and life happening? As Doc Rivers said, this happens all the time in the NBA where guys will miss a practice because, you know, they got to go tend to their wife or their kid or something like that. And nobody will know any better. They just don't know that a guy missed a practice. But now you cannot leave the bubble. If you leave the bubble for a personal issue, you're not coming back for four to ten days, uh, uh, you know, due to quarantine once you actually come back to Orlando. And then who knows what you're doing when you're out there. Obviously, look at Lou Williams. So the, these things are going to pop up with teams. Um, which is going to make things not as equal footing because teams could be decimated by, say, injuries or coronavirus or guys just leaving the bubble. But if we take all that out of the equation and we just have these teams playing uh, with all things equal, I think you're right, Bruce. I think we, we could perhaps see some like NCAA March Madness upsets. Um, that mm -hmm. would be awesome. I, I don't know if you can do it four times to one team and upset somebody four times, but we've seen it happen in NBA history 
Uh, and so in this bubble, perhaps we might be able to see more chaos. I think, Aaron, I, I, I don't know what you think, but to me, one of the teams that could really benefit from this is Philadelphia because Philadelphia was an unbeatable yeah. team at home and they couldn't beat anybody on the road. So now I think it was actually starting to get in their heads after a while because they were like 29-2 and two at home and what, like 10-24 and 24 on the road, something like that. Uh, losing to some god-awful teams on the road, by the way. So to me, that that makes this whole thing so wide open and compelling. Because, uh, you know, for, the main thing is, look, if Milwaukee's playing Orlando in the first round, they're going to win the first two games at home, series over. Mm-hmm. And same with, say, the Lakers and maybe, you know, whoever they end up at, you know, Memphis, whatever, let's say. So now it's like every time a playoff series is 1-1, it almost always goes six or more. So, you know, I think, I think we're going to be looking at some of that, and I think it's, it's going to be great for the fans, uh, if not for the players. Yeah, and, and you yeah, just start yeah. to wonder if these series do go longer, you know, what kind of effects does that have on some of these players fatigue-wise, uh, conditioning-wise, with kind of the shorter things. So, But, yeah, the Sixers are definitely a team that I'm kind of excited to see how they do down the stretch. It just depends how much roster and lineup tinkering they continue to do. Let's hope well, that, like, you know, the, the, the referees, I think, that things need to be worked out a little bit with the amount of fouls. I get it. It's early on so far. But, like, you know, look, Giannis always has foul trouble, no matter whether it's pre-pandemic or in a pandemic. Um, but if Giannis gets into foul trouble inside this bubble, uh, there's not going to be a home court advantage where fans can really kind of maybe perhaps slightly influence a referee not to give Giannis's fifth foul or sixth foul. Uh, so we're going to see how that's going to play out in the bubble too, because that'll be interesting. Those are things that, you know, look, we, we see what pressure games can, what happens in pressure pack games. Um, but we've never seen it inside a bubble. And certainly the, the, the uh, NBA hasn't experienced something that would be like March Madness. And so I feel like with the only basketball to concentrate on and guys playing, teams playing every other day and things like that, we may see things that we've never really seen before uh, during normal times, which I'm really excited about. Absolutely. Guys, I'm pumped for it as well. Uh, I'm, so if you had to pick, and, and this can be both of you guys' question, and I, and I won't hog the show anymore, but if there's one under-the-radar kind of lower-seeded team that, could go deep and do damage in the playoffs. I think that team is Dallas. What do you guys think? Uh, I would probably – Dallas is dangerous. I'm not sure if Dallas plays enough defense. Um, I, I probably would say uh, a team that, you know, that I think, like I, I said earlier, Oklahoma City is a team that oh, I think yeah. is ugly. Um, it's not exactly – what you want to watch as far as like exciting basketball, Dallas is exciting. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch Doncic all the time? Um, but I feel like in this bubble, OKC could be a team that might just make things messy for another team. And listen, the Lakers, um, I think, are going to get by whoever they face in the first round. Jaron Jackson Jr. going down really hurts Memphis. But if you were to face the Portland Trailblazers, and if they go into the playoffs rolling, meaning that, They caught Memphis, and then they played Memphis in a play-in situation and won two games. They're feeling good about themselves, and Damian Lillard feeling Mm. good about himself with a healthy Nurkic, healthy Zach Collins, C.J. McCollum. Oh, I mean, that might be – 
you know, maybe yeah. two games off the Lakers that they really didn't want to lose in the first round, it could end up being a little bit more of a difficult first round for the Lakers than expected. So that would be kind of fun to watch too. Yeah, absolutely. And Bruce, you, you know me, I'm still on that Sixers train regardless. I think the combination of Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, as well as, you know, whatever it is that they're going to eventually decide to do with Al Horford, whether or not that's in the starting rotation or him coming off the bench, I think they have too many weapons and too many options along with Tobias Harris for them not to be able to make noise in the Eastern Conference. And I also just think the fact that they're not going to be forced to go on the road early on in a series is going to benefit them tremendously. But, oh, my God, one more question for you before we let you go. Do you have any strong feelings on the virtual fans? Do you enjoy them? Do you like them? Do they add anything? Okay, so I was just about to say this to Bruce. If Paul Pierce can be in the virtual fans, Bruce, you can be there for your Celtics. Uh, You want to know something? You want to know something? It's so funny you mention that. My son Adam works for the NBA, and he was home last week from New York. He was hanging out at the house with us. And we were talking about this, so he sent me a link today from his email. He said, here's the link. If you want to be a virtual fan, you can do it. You have to follow this link to sign up. And I'm seriously debating whether I should really do that or not. I, oh, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like I should. Uh, you know what? You got to do it, especially when we know that Cassidy's doing a Celtics game. So that Cassidy can see you oh, in the house. Oh, that would be great. Uh, but I, to answer your question, I li- I didn't think I'd like it, and I kind of like it, especially when somebody like Paul Pierce shows up or Chris Bosh. Um, or like the other day, I think I saw like one of those like this guy was dressed up on there at one point. So someone yeah, had their the- dog on there, and there was a guy dressed up like as a luchador wrestler with the mask and no shirt on. There was a guy that was dressed up with a banana. Um, you know, and then here's the other thing too: we've seen some empty seats in these little virtual fans. And so it's kind of typical of some of these teams where either fans are leaving early or they're just not even in the arena, which I think is kind of funny too. What I just kind of not being there, but what I'm curious about is like the actual sound we hear, are those fans actually cheering on their computers or is it kind of like piped in, you know, home crowd noise sound, which I've never really been a fan of because I was around like say the New Jersey Nets uh, when they would have like 8,000 fans in the building and they needed that fake kind of, you know, crowd noise. I've never liked that. I like real crowd noise. But so far, watching on TV, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell the difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's added a little bit of an atmosphere, and it's something that we've talked about numerous times on this show. The NBA, I think, has knocked it out of the ballpark with everything that they've done with this bubble environment. And, Ohm, you knocked it out of the ballpark on this episode, and we just really appreciate you taking the time and joining us, man. Thank you, as always. Thanks for having me. And, Bruce, thank you for all the kind words. You know, I'm always here for you anytime you need me. Oh, you're the best, man. Thanks a lot. You too, Aaron. This was a lot of fun. Thank you both. Special thanks to Ohm for joining us here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. And special thanks, as always, to our producer, Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein for all the work they do in putting these shows together each and every day. And if you are checking out our shows, you know that we have quality content coming your way each and every day. Monday, Mike Weiss just always continues to push out great show after great show. Tuesday, if you want to catch up on everything that's happening in college basketball circles, it's the Full Court Press with fans and Adams. Wednesdays is right here where you get your NBA news and notes and in-depth interviews and caught up on everything that's going on in the association Thursday. As always, it's for buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt and her new co-host, King McClure. And Friday is the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. 
But if you like today's show, if you enjoyed it, all that we ask is that you rate and subscribe and share it with all your friends. But that does it for us here this week. Otto and I will be back next week with another great show. Captain Shoots 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.